Lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid to fall. Welcome to the Beautiful Just Podcast today. Today we're really excited. We have Marsha Baird with us. And Marsha's a friend of our guest who we had on um, a little while back, Karen Cushenberry. And Karen, we just love her. And she spoke so highly of Marsha. So we were really excited we could get Marsha on to chat with us today. So Chantel's going to read her bio and then we'll hop into her story. Yeah. Welcome, Marsha. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Okay, so Marcia was born and raised in a small town called Port Point Fourteen in Trinidad and Tobago. Is that how you say that? Close. Point Fourteen, Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. Tobago. Okay. In Tobago. She had <laughs> she has an older sister who helped helped motivate her to run her elementary school five k. Marcia grew up playing cricket as a teenager, and that's how her athletic career started. She knew she wanted to work with with youth ever since going to Chicago in nineteen ninety four with a sociology department from Rick's College. Marsha has a love for people and calls everyone a friend. She values her friendships and uses others to inspire her. She enjoys crocheting and making jam. She is a mother of three boys, Mark, 15, Ty, 14, and Landon, 12, and has been married for 23 years to, to Greg Baird, and who works at BYU in the Division of Continuing Education and is her biggest fan. She has worked as a school social worker for Provo City School District, since 2000. Marsha is a licensed clinical social worker as well. And she has many athletic accomplishments and I'm super mm-hmm. impressed by this. So we'll um, kind of go through a few of those, but that will probably be part of her story that we talk about. Um, but some of them is that she was a fourth place finisher at the 1998 NCAA track and field championship. Um, she's a former national record record holder. She represented Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. The summer Olympic games in 2000 and 2004. Um, she was, is a Ricks College Hall of Famer from 2008 um, and had a Distinguished Alumni Award from BYU in 2021. Some of these I want you to like um, expound on, but she was a track coach. So currently you're a track coach. Is that correct? Oh, cool. Yes, that's correct. Where do you coach at? Uh, we have a track club called Utah Track Club. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Just here in, yeah. That's awesome. All right. And Marsha also as a master's competition age group 35 plus the 2015 world record holder in the four by 100 meter relay in the 35 to 40 age group and a champion in the heptathlon. Yeah. What does that even mean? (laughs) Yep. That's seven track and field events. Oh, wow. Oh, that's okay. Awesome. And then long jump, long jump and javelin. Um, and the same thing in 2016. So do you currently um, compete and race? I do. I'm going to nationals next month in um, Kentucky. Oh, so cool. Yeah. What are you running there? What what events are you doing? I'll be doing the pentathlon because indoors you don't do the heptathlon because there's no javelin. And then I'll be doing the open hurdles and open long jump. And they have, um, so national nationals. So Worlds is actually in Poland a week later, but I am not going to Worlds because I can't afford to go to both. Mm. And Worlds is a lot more expensive than the other one. Mm. So that's so cool that you're they're continuing with it. Yeah, that's awesome. So how many years have you been running and competing then? 
Oh boy, I have been competing probably seriously, I think since I was 15. Yeah, maybe tell us, um, sometimes we like to start our interview with like a fun or interesting fact about yourself, which your athleticism is fun and interesting, but do you have anything else you'd like to share? I do. I People laugh when I tell them I don't like brownie or cinnamon rolls. Ooh. <laughs> um, yeah, I just yeah, that's don't rare. like the texture. <laughs> yeah, that is And rare. I don't like donuts either. It's the wet bread type thing. I don't um, like it. So you're not so much... But are there other sweets that you do enjoy? Oh, everything else. Okay, good. <laughs> just not those. Okay, good. <laughs> so that's a fun fact. People are like, what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> um, and then it said in your bio that you're also a a licensed clinical social worker. Um, mm-hmm. And it looks like you went to Rick's college and to BYU. That's super awesome. Cause I don't think that that's what Karen told. I, anyway, Karen just told me how amazing you are and I didn't even know some of these things. So I'm excited <laughs> to hear all this. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. 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 I'm excited so, to hear more too. And so, Oh yeah, go ahead. Chantel. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe give us a background of, um, you know, where you grew up and some of the things about, your country, and then when you came over to Rick's, you know, maybe you're just a timeline a little bit of how, what got you to Provo, Utah, I guess. Yeah, that's a good timeline. So I, of course, I grew up in Trinidad. And growing up, let's see, when I was about 10 years old, 10 going on 11. So that was my, I was a sixth grader in elementary school. I wanted a bicycle so bad. And I was a tomboy. So a bicycle was my thing. And my dad told me if I won the 5K in my uh, school race that I would, he would buy me a bicycle. So I trained with my sister, my oldest sister, and I cried. And every time I cried while I was running with her, she would say, bicycle, bicycle. And then I would be, oh, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. Um, and so kind of that's how my track started a little bit. Like, And then my dad did buy me a bicycle because I did win the 5K in, you know, sixth grade because I trained for it. And um, back then we had things called like, uh, we call it trace sports, which here they'd call it a street sport. So we have a lot of dead end streets in Trinidad. And so if your street is named Chinyangi Trace or Jackson's Trace, um, you would have a race day called Jackson Street Race Day. And they have, they would draw the 100 meters and the 50 meters. And we would do like lime and spoon and um, sack races and three-legged races, just something for the family. And so I would race in those when I was little. Well, um, when I was about 14, um, the coach who was dating my aunt at the time saw me at a cricket match playing cricket in my name, in my community. And he thought, you are going to be really good at javelin. And I was like, what? Because in cricket, you have to throw the ball because I was an outfielder where I throw in the ball and I was pretty good. Good, had a good arm. And so I started, he said, come learn javelin. So I did. And um, that was like two weeks prior to like a national qualifying meet for a Caribbean games called Carifta Games. And I ended up winning and placing third in that Carifta Caribbean Games two weeks into oh, wow. practice. Wow. So that whole life. How, yeah. <laughs> You've only done yeah, it two weeks how, ever. Wow. That's yeah, impressive. That's, yeah, that's how track career started. So, yeah, from the bicycle to cricket to throwing javelin. And then I was known as a javelin queen and 
they would use my last name because my maiden name was Mark as good headlines like Marsha, mean one with the Mark. Oh, yeah. Or Marsha made her Mark. Or, you know, mm-hmm. they, they would just use that as a punt for my articles and stuff. So it was kind of fun. Um, that's awesome. And yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about growing up for me. I Did You just have the one sister that you mentioned in your. Yeah, I have one sister. I have three half brothers, um, two of which I didn't really know till after. Let's see. No, one I didn't know till after I left Trinidad and came to college. But my older brother, I knew because he came to visit us in the summer. And then my other brother, I learned about a little later in life. Like I was, I don't know, maybe around 15, 16, I think. So, Mm. So I have two little brothers. And an older, an older sister and an older brother. Cool. And is your family, any of your family still in the Caribbean or? Um, so my sister lives in the Caribbean. Uh, my mom passed away 13 years ago next month. My dad lives with me. He's moving back to Trinidad next month. So a lot of transitions happening in my family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In my That's life. True. But yeah. Oh, yeah. So my two of my brothers... Let's see. One of my brothers live here and two still live back in Trinidad. So hmm. do you awesome. get there very often? Do you go back there? No, the last time I was there was for my sister's wedding. That was four years ago. So maybe I'll go next summer, I think. Hmm. Yeah, if your dad's going back. Yeah. I was just thinking before we kind of hop more into present day stuff, it'd be fun to hear because you live in Utah now, right? In Provo area. Uh-huh. We live in Utah. This is like... I mean, I've only ever lived in Utah, so I feel like I love to hear people's experiences growing up in different places so I can learn more about different parts of the world and stuff. So I just wonder, can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like growing up there in the Caribbean? Well, you know, it's crazy because I've lived here longer than I've lived in Trinidad now in my life because I left when I was 19. Mm -hmm. Um, But culturally, holy moly, talk about differences. Um, I grew up on the beach. Basically, like my house was, I don't know, 100 meters from the beach. Oh, wow. And so, you know, you can hear the waves from your bedroom because we don't have, growing up, we didn't have a lot of like enclosure where we have air condition and we definitely don't need heat in the Caribbean. And so everything is open. Um, so you hear everything. It's not like soundproof. I call it soundproof here because your house is so quiet inside um, in America. Mm-hmm. But um, growing up for me, the fruits, oh my gosh, when fruit was in season, we call we have a thing called, we say, dong. Which means if mango is in season, you're not cooking because your pot is turned down, upside down. You don't have time to cook because you have so much fruit to eat. Oh, nice. And so it's kind of a traditional, it's a joke, right? I like but that. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people. So it depends on what's in season. At the time, kids never go hungry. At least I didn't growing up as a kid. Because whether it was mango, or there's a fruit called pomerac, there's cherries, there's guavas, there's um, papaya, there's watermelon pineapple wow oh my gosh so many fruits that even like um sapadilla which obviously you don't know what and we call <laughs> avocado zabuka so there's so many different things um but i never as a kid felt like i ever went hungry because there was always fruits to eat even if you didn't have food um it's humid mm. and i didn't realize it was humid till i came here because growing up <laughs> It's where you grew up. But when I first came right. to um, 
Rick's College and then BYU, the first time I went back home, I remembered sweating constantly and taking three to four showers a day. And my mom was like, what is wrong with you? I said, it is so sticky. You'd get out of the shower and dry off with your towel and you're wet again. You're dripping in sweat. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so not used to this. So, but that's something I, it didn't bother me growing up because that's all I knew. Ah, what else is cool about the Caribbean? I mean, it's always warm. It's like, 68 maybe is the coldest it ever gets. Oh, sounds so <laughs> it nice. rains that sounds amazing right now. <laughs> yeah, it rains in Trinidad about six months out of the year. And so oh, wow. the rainstorms here, I mean, they're good rainstorms, but when we rain in the Caribbean, it's like all day for days. Oh, wow. And here it rains, what, a nice good hour or two, and that's it mm-hmm. for the month sometimes. Um, but in Trinidad, it can rain six months constantly. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's interesting about those rainstorms. Yeah. Well, we're also close to the equator. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's pretty tropical. Yeah. Yeah. And being so close to the beach like that, that's like my dream. I mean, that just sounds so lovely. (laughs) Yeah. That's when you grew up in Utah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. Utah's called the the lake, the beaches. It bugs me. Like that is not the same. No. And having like fruit everywhere. I mean, that just sounds amazing. So Oh, good. I love that. that. Sounds so yeah. good. And delicious. So when people here say to me they hate mango, I know why. It's because it doesn't taste anything like a mango no. off the tree. Oh, okay. It's nasty. It's, it tastes <laughs> like the mango flavor, but there's no sweet. There's mm. And we have hundreds of brands and not brands, but types of mangoes. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Big ones, small so- ones, long ones, different shape ones. Ones with bigger seeds, smaller seeds. I mean, we have lots of mangoes. Wow. Yeah, my husband lived in Guatemala for a while, and he always says that. He's like, it's not even the same fruit compared to getting off the tree in Guatemala than to buy it at the store in America. It's yeah. not the same. So this is probably a stupid question, but all this fruit, like where does it grow? I mean, is it planted? Is it is some of it wild? Like where do you get it? That's a good question. But, Lindsay, there's nothing as a stupid question. Okay. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know what? That's a, yeah, I don't really know where all the fruit comes from other than, hey, if you eat a mango and you throw the seed over the fence, you might get a mango tree. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and just, so, yeah, that's awesome. You know, there's no um, winter, so everything grows. Yeah. You know, you don't have, like, oh, it's going to die when winter comes and comes back. No, it just, you know, we yeah. have the mango season. Everything just keeps coming back. Wow. So then did you go from the Caribbean to Rexburg, Idaho? I did. Oh, yeah. So tell and, us about wow, that, that transition. Yeah. And do you want to know? I got there in January. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah. torture. That Maybe would be so rough. Torturous, like. Yeah. That. Yeah, kind of me. Almost yeah, mean to do to yeah. somebody. That was the biggest transition of yeah, my life. Yeah, tell us about we, that. We, yeah, we can talk about yeah, that one. Yeah, let's do. So I, so I guess what led me to get in there, let me share that. Yeah. So, you know doing track for so many years and doing the javelin and long jump and maybe running one or two relays. You know, I have, there's a lot of people that um, have gotten scholarships to America and most Caribbean countries or any other country is all like, you know, everybody wants to go to America to get a scholarship. And so I had a friend that lived in my hometown that went to BYU. And so I told her a little bit about 
I said, can you tell your coach about me? Because I really want a scholarship. And so she did. And um, I was in Canada competing at the Pan American Games. Um, and so I, it was like the under 20 games. And I met the coach from BYU who offered me a scholarship in the heptathlon. And you guys will laugh at this because they said, do you want to do the heptathlon? And I said, yeah, sure. What is it? Because <laughs> I didn't know what I it didn't was. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so then he tells me it's hundred meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meters, long jump, javelin, and 800 meters. And I was like, and then he left and I go, I've never seen a, uh, hurdles in my life. I've never high jumped. I've never thrown the shot put and I've never ran the 800. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. So, like, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I said, sure, whatever. You know, you're young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you also think, okay, you could do anything. Yeah, I so, love that. Um, that shows your adventurous spirit, I think, probably. Yeah, yeah like, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, just brave. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. And so, um, so I ended up, before I got to BYU, or before I got to Rick's College, I had to take the SAT because that's what international people have to take. And I, I'm not book smart, uh, but I'm pretty smart with other things. And so I took that SAT like three or four times to get high enough. I still couldn't get into BYU. So because Rick's College was BYU's junior college, I was able to get into Rick's College um, with my low score in my um, SATs. And so I started off at Rick's and because it took me so long to pass the SAT, I missed the deadline. <laughs> so that's why I had to start in January. Oh, okay. And so uh, I went from right. 92 <clears throat> degrees to minus 10. <gasps> Ooh, minus wow. 10. And, Yikes. and that was 1993, <laughs> December of 1993. Oh, wow. I'll never forget that. <laughs> it was cold. That is so cold. Yeah. And so no matter what I did, I landed and I thought, oh, it's cool, whatever. The snow is cool until the second day when I actually had to go out in it. And it didn't matter what I did. I was cold. I had on layers, but obviously nobody told me I could buy thermals and stuff. Right. So I had on like nylons and tights and oh. my jeans. And then I put on a sweatpants over my jeans and I just had on so I looked like a clown walking because I had so much clothes uh. on and I still was not cold. I mean, was not warm. Wasn't that? Yeah. That's but so the cold. Fascinating, what, what was fascinating for me my first week is I remembered I would run into the bathrooms from on campus just to see my eyebrows all white with frost. Oh yeah. And Frozen. anywhere yeah. my hairlines were, I had frost and it was it was oh. just so cool. But you know, yeah, I, I cried every day for about three months, I think. Oh. Yeah. I mean even one thing to go to Provo to Utah. It's still winter, but Rexford is a whole other kind of winter. Yes, yes, and Rick sits on a hill, so it's always windy. Ooh, mm -hmm. yeah, that is rough. Makes it that much. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And had you ever? Because you did say you you had visited Canada. So actually, going back maybe a little in your story, because I think it's interesting. At what point? I mean, obviously, you're a really good athlete to be traveling around to these competitions or what do you call them, like events. So at what point? Yeah, competition. Yeah, you were doing it. Like, when did you become to the point? I mean, was it kind of your parents that, that encouraged you to do the competitive side and travel around? Because you said you went to Canada at one point. Or was that like high school? 
But no, not of... my parents. Okay. I think it's it's probably because I had other teammates okay. and older athletes that I looked up to that was doing what I was doing, you know, and traveling to the big meets. Because, okay. yeah, there's, you could be the best in your country, but you want to go beyond that. Okay. And when you see your fellow uh, teammates and countrymen doing great things outside of Trinidad and getting world titles and, you know, things like that, you want to be part of that too. Yeah. That's just really cool. Cause I feel like that itself is really unique. You know, not a lot of people have that experience where they're so good at a sport that they're traveling around like internationally, you know, from a young age like that. So anyway, that's just interesting. Like, I wonder, I mean, do you remember like the first event that you traveled outside of your country? Like what that was like for you and what age or yeah, well, that was the under 15. That was that javelin oh, okay. two weeks, you know, um, mm-hmm. of training and, and went to the Crif, the games. Okay. And placed third at that, throwing javelin for the first time ever. That was wow. fun and exciting. And no pressure because you're like, yeah, I'll just try it because you don't have that much pressure when you're so new to something. It's just exciting. Yeah. And so it was fun. And then did it, like, did your love of was it kind of a combination of the sporting and then kind of the travel and everything that led you to want to just continue it or, and just your, or yeah. What, where's that passion? Well, t- the funny part about it is I didn't even think about college. I didn't think about like a degree. I just thought, Oh, it would be so cool to go compete in college. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about the schoolwork that's involved. Yeah. I didn't think about all of it. I just like, I, I didn't think, oh, I want to go get a degree in this because that was not the thought. That, the thought was I just wanted to be my best hmm. um, as an athlete. And it wasn't even like I didn't even think Olympics back then either because I didn't even think I was ever going to be good enough for that. So that's a whole nother thing we're going to talk about. Yes, later. yes. But it was more of it, it was just more of I want a scholarship. And hmm. I think that level from going from Trinidad to a scholarship was a big level. I didn't think of all the levels above that. Just, ooh, I get to jump to a scholarship. That was huge in my yeah. culture back then. Oh, so. for sure. Yeah. Um, no, I was just wondering if you, did you have just a love for that or you were you competitive by nature? Yeah. Or were you just like, oh my gosh, I did the javelin. I'm really good at this. Oh, I'm just going to. Oh, I'm so competitive by nature. <laughs> okay. Because I was. A, I figured you must know, be. Yeah. I was a tomboy. So not only was I competitive okay, yeah. in my sport, since I was about five years old I was competitive with every single boy in my neighborhood I had to beat them at biking I roller skates and climbing the highest tree beating them on the beach trying to outrun them in soccer on the beach um in cricket wanted to make the most runs get them out whatever it was I was so competitive and I was better than probably 90 nine percent of the boys in my neighborhood that's awesome (laughs) she sounds like it yeah (laughs) Well, and just the idea that you were like, I don't know what these things are, but I'm just going to say yes, because I'm pretty sure. I can yeah, that's really cool. Probably, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's so well, cool. Well, you're naive too. and don't know what you're getting into. So the first day of practice. Yeah, that's also so true when you're young. Yeah. So in January, right? I'm in Rick's college. And the first day of practice, coach and the girls are showing me how to hurdle. And this is like five days after I get there because we got competition coming up in a week. And I'd never seen a hurdle. And I thought, oh, that looks really easy. Because I used to jump over. I said, again, the competitiveness. I would jump over, like, we have these drums. What do you guys call them? Well, we call them barrels, but you might call them drums. Like, I could jump over that. We would jump over all these canals. 
drains. I don't know what you'd call it. I, I have to try to convert the Trinidad canals. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we just see who can jump the furthest so they don't land in the mud. Just things like that. Well, easy. I could jump. I'm a good jumper. And so when I saw the girls do hurdles, I thought, I could do that. That's so low. It's so easy. And I couldn't do it. I went to the bathroom and cried oh. for about half an hour oh. to 45 minutes. The coach finally sent someone in to check on me. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. So you're just scared like that. I can't do yeah. this. Like, oh, that's that's scary. Because you're there. Well, you're yeah. already on the team. Like, you're, you're there. I was more embarrassed that yeah. I didn't know how to do it. And I was like, what is this thing? Right. <laughs> Uh, that and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, how long did it take you to, yeah, to figure it out? Because I'm assuming that actually it didn't take you that long yeah. to figure it out once you knew the technique. So I have several besties. <laughs> I, I I value relationship, and I have several besties. So Megan Rose at the time, now she's Megan Shank. She was one of my friends. Well, not friends because I'd only known her for what three days. So coach had sent her to come and check on me in the bathroom. And she found me crying and, you know, didn't come out till the team left, whatever. But um, she ended up being my best friend and taught me how to hurdle and all that stuff. Taught me how to shop, helped me with the 800. And within about, I think, a month and a half of that, I was the fastest hurdler on the team. Ooh. Wow. That's That's awesome. So So I can learn (laughs) despite all the setbacks and the hard things but I am also determined like I mean I'm not going to give up on things I'm going to keep trying yeah that's awesome yeah I mean to be able to do what you do and compete at that level yeah that's to be part of your yeah ingrained in your and your personality yeah and obviously you have a lot of natural athleticism too because I could probably be like I'm gonna do hurdling and it just wouldn't work out for me well (laughs) but I don't know about natural because if you see me when you teach me a new drill I look like a complete idiot like oh my gosh he has no coordination no rhythm but it takes me a while to get going like some people you teach them something and bam they get it not me I have to practice and so I am not naturally coordinated I literally once I practice yeah I get going but at the very first, you teach me a new drill and I cannot figure it out. And you would not think that because no. I seem so athletic. But no, when it comes to new drills and new athletic things, it takes me a while. I, I feel really dumb trying to do things that are new athletically until I get it right. And then it's like, you know, muscle memory is super easy. But at first, whoo, no, 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 it's terrible. That's cool. I actually love that because I think in... I mean, just thinking about how that applies to other things in life, you know, like the things that we're natural at, of course, we're going to have more chance to be good at it. But like sometimes the things that we really try at, we can be just as good at that. It just maybe takes a little more effort, but it's that determinism, you know, that can get us there. So anyway, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, I've learned that failure is my fuel for success. Because when when I fail that many times... It just fuels me to try again. That's cool. It's like looking at it as a challenge. Yeah. 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 And you hear that a lot, that that's how most people grow and succeed is the failing part, because that's where you learn the most is yeah. when you're failing how to, how to succeed and how to do better the next time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And not looking that. at that as like the end, like, oh, I failed at that. So I'm going to stop. But actually, right. oh, that's a challenge to keep trying and do better. So that's really cool. That's well, I awesome. also tried to teach my athletes that. Failing is part of succeeding. And if you don't fail, 
your success is not as sweet. Like if yeah. you just get it right the first time or you hit your times the first time, yeah, you get the glory in that. But when you fail that many times and that one success, it, it, it just it magnifies the joy of that success because of all the failures as opposed to just succeeding the first time. Yeah, that's so true. It makes it that much more meaningful and and satisfying to feel like you did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So did you spend the two years at Rick's then? So I ended up with a year and a half because once I, you start in January. Um, so between indoor and outdoor and then indoor and outdoor again, basically you lose, you end up losing what four months or one semester. So I just went to summer school, uh, not summer school, summer semesters. Um, and even Christmas, they had classes over winter. Um, in order to graduate on time. So, so I actually went up till August and then jumped into BYU in September. Cool. Oh, cool. Transfer to BYU with your education or with the track? Both. Like like what was, what led you to BYU? Well, BYU Um, became Rick's junior college. So the whole reason why I went to Rick's was to go to BYU. Okay. So you're hoping to hop over there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the whole plan. Um, even when I went to Rick's, um, I, I had a couple of national titles. Um, I won javelin twice and nationals did it, did okay in long jump. I think I got second or third. Um, and I'm trying to think, did I win the heptathlon? I might have won the heptathlon. It's kind of sad that I don't even remember if I won the heptathlon. <laughs> I think I did, but I don't remember. Maybe I got second or third. Um, but I remembered because I got so good at Rick's like before Rick's and I was in Trinidad I was writing all these schools all these great schools you know I don't want to name drop them but <laughs> um once I got to nationals and start winning then those same schools that told me no we don't want you we don't have any scholarships for you they were writing me to get me to go to their schools oh, and what was sure, fun yeah. is my coach was like Sure, go on that recruiting trip. They'll pay for your airfare. They'll pay for you to go. Go see something new. And he was so funny. He's like, just remember your your loyalty, Larry. So be with you. Yeah. <laughs> you can go, but you better come back. Yeah. Yeah, he was funny. But That's I did go, cool. and I hated all the school tours that I went on. Um, mm-hmm. I went on three different recruiting trips. And um, they were they were offering me a lot of money to be in their program. But they I would have been their best athlete. So I would not have really improved, you know. Um, and so I could have just taken it for the money um, and be their best athlete. But I really had just that commitment I felt to BYU because they gave me my start and they saw my potential when nobody else did. So That's really yeah, cool. That's cool. Yeah, that loyalty. That's yeah. awesome. So is this about when were you at BYU when you went to the Olympics? I was. So I, so I transitioned over to BYU in 95. Um, and then, so 98 was my senior track year, but because, so here we go, this girl that wasn't smart enough on the SATs and all of that (laughs) ended up graduating early at BYU. And so 98, my senior year was also my first year of grad school Hmm. at BYU. So Social then, work grad school. You did went into the social, social work. work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And then and I then wonder my, 
Oh, sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to ask you a little more about the social work aspect. Cause that's interesting. Cause you know, you said going into school, you weren't really sure what you were mm-hmm. going to go into and it was more for the athleticism. So what led you to social work? Cause I do feel like that's one of the things that yeah, seems that's... pretty specific, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and you maybe found a passion there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So besides all the track stuff happening at Rick's college, mm-hmm. I found out um, that, so I had taken a sociology class and I still remember my professors. Oh my gosh, they're awesome. Um, JD Rottweiler was one of my professor and Dr. Stokes, those two men. Oh my goodness. They play a large part in my social work and starting off my social work. But, um, so they were sociology majors and I found out that Rick's had this sociology program where they took eight guys and eight girls to Chicago to inner city. We take Mm. a bus from Rick's to Chicago and we spend two weeks in the inner cities in Chicago and work with underprivileged youth. Oh, that's really cool. And I thought, I want to do that. I think that would be awesome. So I decided to sign up for it. I don't remember what we paid or whatever it was. And when I went on that trip, that's when I decided I want to work with kids. I want to help kids because I didn't have that role model growing up. I mean, I did track, but I didn't have someone. Well, let me back up. I did have a couple of coaches and teachers that were awesome. I still even communicate with them and have lunch with them and stuff when I go back to Trinidad. But I didn't have like someone coming into my classroom and saying, you could be somebody. Mm-hmm. Someone coming into my classroom and saying, you matter. Didn't have mm-hmm. someone saying to me, um, bullies need help too. I, I didn't have someone empowering me as a youth to say that you could dream big. Right. I had people along the way that were always supporting me, but never had that conversation with adults when I was down or when somebody else was down or just a motivational person to come in and say, hey, not because you're from, we call it the bush in the Caribbean, because Point Fortin, they call us the bush because we're not in the city. We're in a small town um, to say, hey, you can become anybody you want. And so I wanted to be that for the youth. And that's how I started social work. That's why I wanted to do social work. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I love that. That's great. It's cool to yeah, start out something with a, a desire and a passion to help others. Like if that's what your career does, like there's so much meaning in that and there's some heart behind it. And, you know, and a reason you're saying that you wished you had that. And now mm-hmm. you're giving that to other kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And I love how you explain that. Cause I was thinking when you're saying that about how like sometimes like adults feel so powerful when we're young, you know, and even like putting one in the school setting, like you're saying that is saying those things to someone. I just feel like that could make all the difference for a child in their life or a teen or whatever. So anyway, that's really awesome. Oh, I was going to say, you don't know uh, what their home life is like and if they have any parents at all trying to strengthen their self-esteem and self-image and telling them that they are worth something or they can be anything. And I just, it does seem to me that a lot of times it can literally just be one person that can change someone's life by giving someone that hope and that like you are worth something Mm -hmm. and you can be somebody. And that's really all all it takes is just that someone else believes in me. So I'm going to believe in myself. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And, and part of my role, um, part of my role as a social worker, is not just working with the kids here at school. So I do work with the parents. I work with the entire unit. 
Um, because if we're helping kids at school and not helping them at home, then they're coming to school getting one thing and they're going back into that environment. So we have to work on the whole family um, mm. as a unit to be able to make that change. Yeah, that's really, yeah, that's, that's important true. for sure. That Chicago experience, um, I mean, Chicago's a huge city. I've never been to Chicago, but I, you know, kind of know. I'm just wondering, was that an interesting experience for you to get to go work with those inner city kids? And, you know, going from where you grew up, a small town to BYU, Idaho, which is pretty small, to then Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that was quite a different, yeah, different experience. It, it was, it was. And um, so there's a book we had to read as part of our trip project. Um, it's called There Are No Children Here. And in that book, it talks about the Harry Horn, Henry Horner homes um, and a couple of other places. And basically the, the nature of the book was a lot of the kids there were in gangs and experiencing mm-hmm. a lot of crimes and shooting. And, and basically they had to grow up by the time they were nine. Mm-hmm. They have to kind of be adulting. And so as we read that book, what it it came to life because the book itself is based on where we were in Chicago. Oh. And so we would drive oh, wow. by the places it talks about in the book. And it, the book is a true story. Oh, and wow. So, um, it was very empowering to know that these kids that we were working with, I mean, and this was back in 1994, but the kids that we were working with are similar to ones we were reading about. So we had a lot of compassion for those kids. Mm, that's that's so smart of your professors to have you read that book in advance before going like because then it's so real and and you could just probably empathize right off the bat with those kids and that's really cool yeah nice so was it after that trip then that you were like oh this is what I want to do like well what was funny is so my major at Rick's was sociology because they didn't have a social work major because Rick's is a two-year college so you just get an associate so I have an associate's in sociology and then when I came to BYU, they didn't have sociology. So I said, well, sociology is a study of people. I really want to work with people. So that's when I transitioned to social work and started doing the social work part of it. And to be honest, I did not love the BSW program. But when it came to the MSW program, I fell in love with social work because BSW program felt to me like statistics, just so much busy work. And whereas the MSW program was you were jumping into the things that you would be learning and teaching and practicing when you're done working. So I loved the MSW program because it was all hands on. Yeah, that would be much more interesting. It's more of a personal, personalize it instead of, like you said, all the statistics but more getting into the helping others yeah. and how your work's actually going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been seriously considering going back to getting my MSW. So I might Ooh. have to ask you some questions later on. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've been looking into some online programs and stuff. Cause it's, you know, it's kind of hard at my time of life, but anyway, I'm super interested in all this. So I love hearing all this and your story. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have a BSW? I don't, I have my undergrads in communications But my minor is in human development and family studies. And I really, we can take this out if we, but but those. Yeah, we can. I know we're sidetracking. Yeah. Because I was going to say, if you have a BSW, you can do the accelerated program. I know. And I wish I could, but I can't because I don't. And I always gravitated to those classes, but I was trying to be practical and actually communication served me well 
for a long time. Like I got a job and I was able to do a lot of writing and things and, you know, it's, it's led to some good things, but I just really love, anyway, I've looked into psychology and everything, but I'm like, I think social works it. Like, I think that will. I was going to say, it's never too late. My aunt's 60 and she's going to get her law degree next year. Oh, awesome. That's so yeah, that's cool. Really cool. That's so cool. That's awesome. I remember I went to UVU or UBSC and I remember my sociology class was one of my very favorite classes. Like, and I loved the professor and it was so intriguing because it was just something I don't think we ever did anything in high school like that. Yeah. Like I didn't, I don't know. It was just like, okay, I would love to study humans and why we, you know, the nature, the nurture, like it was mm-hmm. just so yeah. intriguing to me. And what seems really cool to it's me really about cool. social work is you're kind of learning about the systems, but then you're also learning about the individual. So it's like all mm-hmm. so connected. And I, anyway, that's really intriguing to me. And yeah. So anyway, well, yes. So where did you yeah, start your career as a social worker. Oh, what's funny. So I did my internship at Provo School District. (laughs) And I also did my internship at the state hospital. So when you have an MSW, you do, I guess we did two internship back then. Um, And so my last one was at the school. It was at one of our alternative high schools. And I got hired right off of graduation. And so I have worked for Provo School District since I graduated in 99. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I took eight years off, had my kids, that's and awesome. came back. Oh, that's cool. So you must enjoy it then because you're I continuing there. It. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. I did gang preventions for a few years, more like 10, 15 years. And um, when I came back, I did that for a little bit. I'm still running the program, but mm-hmm. now I'm just in a school. Before, I used to be in the, all the high schools, the middle schools, and three elementary schools. And now I'm just in one elementary school. Oh, cool. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and then just to backtrack a little, cause we skipped. Oh yeah. Olympics. That's an important part. We wanted to, so what, <laughs> well, we're not what year? yeah, I'm just yeah. backtracking because no, because I, um, no, you're not backtracking because I did. Okay. I started working in Provo school district before the Olympics. Oh, cool. Okay. So, it so all... that was all still before the Olympics. So we're not backtracking. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> okay. Then we did yeah, backtrack. So we okay. Hear... Although I love all the social work stuff. I just want to skip over that. Yeah. Oh, let's just Olympics. forget about yeah. that. Not part. a lot of people <laughs> go to the Olympics. So. Yeah. That's very unique. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Olympic stories. So, you know, I went to BYU, um, Excel there too. Did have the most amazing coach, um, coach Craig Poole, who one year said to me, so this is after I got my bachelor's degree. He said, do you know what my dad told me after I got my bachelor's degree? I said, no, what did your dad tell you, coach? Well, son, I'm proud of you. But now it's time to get your master's degree. <laughs> and then he played that card again with me when I got my master's degree. And he said, Marsha, do you know what my dad said to me when I got my master's degree? I said, yeah, he probably said it to you, but don't say it to Give me. me. A PhD. <laughs> yeah, because he's showing me. I said, no, I'm done with school. Yeah. <laughs> but then he said to me, so have you ever thought about going to the Olympics for Trinidad? So this was like in 2000. In, uh, sorry, 1998, my senior year at BYU. And I said, Coach, are you crazy? I'm not good enough to go to the Olympics. You have to, you're crazy enough to recruit me. And I didn't do all those events. And you recruited me. Okay, great. I turned into a good athlete. But Olympics, come on, Coach. You're dreaming. And he's like, no, you can go to Trinidad for Trinidad because, do you know, they have an A standard and a B standard. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Well, in the Olympics, you can have um, 
three A standards. So let me just kind of dumb it down a little bit. Let's say someone runs the 100 meters in 10 seconds. Okay. If you have, if the A standard is like 10 seconds to, and the B standard is 10 seconds, five, right? 10.5 seconds. You can take three people for your A standard that has ran under the 10.2. So each country is allowed three people in the A standard. Or if you have no one that made the A standard, but you have one person that made the B standard of 10.5, you can take that one person. Hmm. So I didn't know that was a rule back then. It's, it's since changed um, because I think they might have done away with the B standard. But back then, for me, for my first Olympics, um, let's see, I graduated BYU. I was scoring. So maybe I have to give you a little background, too, about the heptathlon, huh? So in the seven yes. events, <laughs> um, each event has a scoring table. And at the end of the seventh event, they tally up all your marks. And that's what your score is. And depending on where you score, that's where you place. So, example, if you ran like a 13.5 in the hurdles, you can get 1,000 points. If you jump 5.7 in the high jump, you can get 1,000 points or 1,000 whatever points. And so when it comes down to the 800 meters, so you've done six events, you can go to the scoring table and look at where you're positioned at. So like at nationals, I have to stay within four seconds of this girl in order to beat her and jump up third. If I stayed four seconds within her time, so I can't let her beat me by more than four seconds. And then I could pass her. Well, at nationals, I was chasing the wrong girl. So I placed fourth instead of third. We got the wrong girl mixed up with the girl I was supposed to chase. Anyway, and so for the Olympics, back then I had to score 5,750 points. My best score at BYU was 5,630 something points. So I would have to get a personal best in order to qualify for the Olympics. So after my senior year, not my senior year, sorry, my first year of grad school, which was 1998, I told my coach, I said, coach, I cannot train and go to my second year of grad school. I'm going to flunk out of grad school because remember, I wasn't very book smart. <laughs> and I said, I have to focus on my studies. I can't think about the Olympics. I, I'm not going to go to the Olympics, coach. He's like, Marcia, listen to me. <laughs> All I want you to do is just don't miss weight training. If you, if you lift three days a week for the whole year and stay strong, you can come back after grad school. And I said, okay, coach, I'll try it. So I did that for the year. And then 2000 came around. Um, so I graduated with my um, master's degree in 1999 and then started training for the Olympics in that September of my graduation or May of my graduation. And crazy enough coach was right i didn't lose much i was stronger because i stayed lifting i exercised here and there but i was never on a program because i didn't have time to train 
between I was working part time, going to school, and trying to, you know, just make it things meet. But I just know I couldn't study and train like that my second year of grad school. And then, um, so in 2000, I had tried to, to qualify like four times. And normally you do about maybe three, maximum four hip tathlons for the year. That's a lot on your body because you're doing so many events. Like normally at the track meets, we do open events as a heptathlete or a decathlete. You don't do a whole decathlon every meet because your body is just going to die on you. You can't do that. Your body can't keep up with that. So you do about maybe four, three or four for the entire season. So I hadn't qualified. And then I had one more chance to qualify um, on... So you, I needed one more time to qualify, and I had a meet in Canada. Remember, we're part of the Commonwealth, Trinidad is, and so I could compete in the Commonwealth Games oh. mm. in Canada. So I flew to Canada, and it was a week before the deadline. Of, so qualification, you have this certain time period where you only have to hear, and then nobody else can qualify. And that was the very last meet for me to qualify in. And I went to Canada and I, crazy, I went to church on Sunday. That was the second day of the, the um, meet. And so the driver took me to church, waited for me, took me back to the meet. <laughs> and then, um, so again, it boils, always boils down to that 800 I hate the 800 more than anything on the planet. <laughs> I think I hate it more than snakes. But um, I had to run a personal best in the 800 to qualify. Again, it turned out to the 800. So I think I had to run like two minutes, 22 <laughs> seconds, and like 22 hundredths of a second or something like that to hit the exact points. So I was kind of shooting for 221. But my best had been like 220, 222, and I was already tired. So I'm like, okay, I think I could do it. I think I could do it. But you have that nerve, and you're like, what if I don't do it? Well, I ended up running the 800, and, you know, you wait for your score. And I ran the exact time I needed to qualify. I scored the 5,750, oh, wow. not even one point above it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I scored exactly that. That's crazy. Oh, that's so cool. First Olympics in Sydney, Australia. Ooh, oh, that's really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And Australia, wow. that, yeah, that that's is amazing. really cool. What a cool experience. Yeah. yeah. Even just the qualifying for yeah, it, getting like there. you said, is mm-hmm. yeah, a cool so experience. Because what... it took you time, but yeah, yeah. you did it. Yeah, so what was that like from there? With the, I mean, how far away were the Olympics after the qualification? And then, yeah. What... So I had to fly out like within three weeks. Mm. after qualifying because oh, it was wow. the last meet um and then because of the climate change and what's nice about when they have olympic meets or olympic year they have a whole circuit for you so a month before the olympics the actual city they host different meets for the athletes because most of us have to get there two weeks prior to or three weeks prior to the olympics they acclimatize and stuff and so they have little circuit meets for those athletes so that they can stay in shape. Long total were you in Sydney, Australia? I was there for, I think, three and a half weeks. 
from the time I got there to the time I left. Nice. And did you go with like, like teammate? I mean, yeah. How, how was that experience? So I flew out from Utah, um, and met the team there. Okay. Yeah. So, and nice. then you just have roommates, you do the whole village and it's really, it's really a village. Like they do your laundry. They, you oh, know, cool. you have all you can eat free food all day long, every day. You have free wow. bus passes. So you can city bus, you can just hop on the bus, but you can't just go in and out of the village. You have to have your name tag. And if you don't have your name tag, you can't do laundry. You can't get into your room. You can't get back in the village. You can't be on the bus. You can't get into the facility. So you dare not lose that um, because mm. that gets you into everything. Oh, wow. So at this point, were you married? I had gotten married um, four months before the Olympics. Oh, wow. Yes. I got married in March. Yeah, I got married in March. Yeah. And I went to the Olympics in August. So we, and we, so my husband was able to come. And what's, what's cool about him coming is he had a friend at UVU who he went to school with Mm -hmm. that was coming to Utah. And so they just kind of swapped places. So we let him stay at our house and my husband got to stay at his house in Australia. Oh, that's perfect. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. He got to cheer you on and be there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. I want to hear about how you and your husband met, but I also want to hear more about the Olympics. So what? (laughs) Because you go to the Olympics again, four years later. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. Okay. So let's talk about the four years later and then I'll tell you how my husband and I met. So, okay. um, So then I retired. (laughs) I tend to retire a lot. And um, (laughs) then all of a sudden I had this weird prompt in two years later that you're going to be in the 2004 Olympics. And I was like, what? I didn't hear that. No, <laughs> I've been training I'm not doing that, yeah. and I ignored it. And then it came back again. I was like, what? And crazy enough. So the next Olympics was definitely the standard was higher. So this time you had to score 5,900 points. Hmm. And remember it was 5,750, the first Olympics. So now I had to do oh, yeah. better and I hadn't trained for two years. Oh, wow. Right. So, um, so the first Olympics 2000 my teammate Tiffany Lott Hogan ended up placing fourth at her nationals so she didn't she wasn't able to qualify remember I told you they have the three a standard and so she placed fourth even if she had the a standard but they only took three and so the next Olympics I was able to start training with her again um and so her and I started we trained at BYU um every day we both work so after work we would train um and then so this time, though, I had qualified like four times and I was having some problems with my delegation in Trinidad and they kept saying, well, we're not taking a B standard. And so I was getting a lot of issues with them. And so I stopped training two weeks before the Olympics, even if I had qualified four or five times. And then last minute, they called me to tell me I'm on the team. I was a little mad because I was like, what? so and then I was also questioning the Lord a little bit and be like you told me I was going to the Olympics and I'm having all these issues and they don't want me to go anyway so I had my conversation with him but where there's a will there's a way and once he says he says so I learned a lesson there um but you know once again it boils down to the 800 so I was like okay I'll do one more heptathlon try to qualify again 
And I had, I ended up with like a seven second PR in the 800, Ooh, which wow. I went nice. from 222 to 215. Oh yeah. Well, and it was a big qualification. So they mm-hmm. said they'd take me. Um, and so what well, the, so Sydney was my best Olympics, but, um, Athens, Greece in 2004 was also good. Not equally as good, but I had my training partner with me. We actually had our coach, Coach Poole at BYU. He was the USA uh, Maltese coach for the Olympics. So he was there coaching me too. So that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just, it was fun because I had my teammate and my coach there and a lot more people that I knew. And the second experience around is not as exciting as the first one. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's the Olympics. What's not exciting, right? Um, so it was still cool. It was pretty cool too. Yeah, and to be able to go yeah. to Greece. And I PR yeah. at the Olympics again. So it was it was oh, great. Nice. So I got a personal best. That's really cool. So what's yeah. like maybe something unique about I mean, I just feel like none of us really know what what would it be like to be an athlete in the Olympics. So I don't know. Do you have any like fun story or just unique perspective from that? that well, you share? The, the thing that when you are the favorite, I think they have a lot of pressure on them. You know, mm. when you're expected to medal. I, I see it on their faces. They, they're just so focused that they can't enjoy the moment because they are like that pressure of having to um, win a medal or, or, you know. And so I feel bad for those guys because they don't get to have as much fun till after yeah. they're done competing, you know. Um, but for us, we, I mean, just to be there was a yeah. huge accomplishment. So we didn't have a lot of pressure. We just had fun. Um, and we just did what we what we normally do. And um, it was pretty chilled. We were like making fun of the camera. We were like, in the camera, yeah. during the competition, right? I mean, we were having so much fun. And to be able to do our best while we were doing it was fun too. Um, but as an Olympic athlete, some of the funnest things that I think I experienced is like, so I have one of my closest friends, another BFF because I have like seven of them. She lives in Australia and she was, she's 10 years younger than me. So, you know, I was what, 26 and she was 16 when I first met her. And, um, they did this whole fan. What is it? It was like the first time social media was this big thing. And Mm. it was a fan email. And, um, so in Australia in 2000, you know, email was just kind of a new thing too. And so they had this fan page set up. And so she communicated. I went to, you know, I told you about the circuit that they do, the meets. And so I met mm-hmm. her there. She took a picture with me. I didn't remember because you take a picture and you sign autograph. Everybody wants your autograph when you're an Olympic athlete. <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't remember her. So she had emailed me the picture that we took and said, hi, do you remember? And now we're best friends. Oh, that's cool. In touch, oh, that's really it's cool. been great. Um, and so I think for me, it's the connections that you make for me that mm. I make all over the world. Um, there's still people that I'm really good friends with. Um, and the wonderful thing about being a heptathlete, most of us are pretty chill. And by the end of the mm-hmm. event, everybody's like best friends. Whereas the other events, it's very competitive. We're competitive too, but we spend so much time together in a meet for two days together. Whereas another opponent they might see each other for five minutes and that's it but we Mm. have to wait like 
well, internationally, we might do the hurdles and the high jump in the morning and come back and do the shot put on the 800 in the evening. But we spent hours together on the track because we have to go through everybody in that flight or everybody in the event. And so it takes a, it's, you know, it might start at nine and we might end at 9 p.m. Hmm. So we get pretty close. Oh, that's yeah, cool. That would be a really cool part of it, meeting yeah. people from all over the world that are coming to compete for their countries. And yeah, that's a really And the cool. crazy thing yeah. about the Olympics, people don't realize when they say Olympic Village, they literally build like a little city for Olympic athletes. You have housing, they have game rooms, they have laundry, they have um, a whole cafeteria, like huge cafeteria, because they have to accommodate the world. So they have Asian food, they have African food, they have American food, they have European food. They, I mean, just the law. You can have a choice from any country. Um, and literally, you need a car to get through the village. It's not just a small town. It's, hmm. it, well, it's like a small town. It's huge. It's huge. Wow. That's really cool. That's way cool. And so would you go outside of the village much to like experience the country yeah, you were at? You, or was you it do, kind but of... you don't a lot because you don't want your legs okay. to be tired from competition. And you're busy. Yeah. yeah. And so okay. normally when you're done competing is when you would travel a little bit more. But okay. within the village, what's nice is every like building, they have their flags outside. So you know where Jamaica is, you know where Australia is, and you could just drive around or walk around. What was cool is my first Olympics in 2000, this is when scooters were first like in existence. Those um, what do you call it? What's the name of the popular scooter brand? Like the like a Razor. Razor, a... yes. Okay. So the New Zealand yeah. team, the entire team of I don't even know two hundred athletes or whatever, they had scooters. Man, we were all so oh, jealous. Fun. They would zip past everybody village. <laughs> in the village. That was like oh. the funnest thing. Oh, it was that so That would cool. be fun. It was so That's cool. Awesome. And you could go pretty fast on those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't yeah. a motorized Cover one, some though. ground, just, yeah. just, you know, the one you push with your foot. It's 2000. Yeah, They didn't yeah. have motorized right. one. But everybody but those was are so still, jealous. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And you get a lot of free stuff. Like some countries get sunglasses. Some countries got like headphones. I think one country got like cell phones from a cell phone company. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. you know, they, they provide you with your wardrobe cause you get free clothes to wear cause you have to oh, wear nice. your sponsored. So like if USA is sponsored by Nike or Adidas, you have to only wear that brand throughout the Olympics. Mm. You can't wear somebody else's brand because you're representing oh. Because they'll take your picture and put it anywhere. So you have to, you have a rule that you have to wear your issued clothing and things like that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is cool. That's way cool. So are you the one in Kentucky? So you're just doing the heptathlon? Pentathlon. Yeah. You have I'm doing the pentathlon oh, the pen. and I'm doing the has... open hurdles and the open long jump. Okay. And Penn has how five. many events? Five. Two less? Yep. yep. Two less. So five. Okay. You're, I'm you're learning doing great. a lot about these events. Yeah, yeah good job, Chantal. You're I'm still, I'm, well, you know, you know got to piece it all. So that's awesome. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe now you could tell us how you met your oh, husband. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And that transition in your life. Yeah, yeah. Transition. So I was at BYU. I was in my second year of grad school, and believe it or not, ladies, I couldn't wait to graduate and get out of BYU. I was ready to be done with BYU. 
And yeah. um, I met my husband in January of 2000, no, 1999. Yep, 1999. So I was going to graduate in April. I was going to be out of here in four months. <laughs> And, um, I ended up having, um, I had an older car, my cute little 89 Isuzu Impulse, which I sure love. You know, you always have a love for your first car. Yeah. And, um, I had put the window down after practice. I had gone to the bank and my window wouldn't go back up and it was snowing. So I drove to Orem to the first mechanic shop and they're like, oh, we don't do, electrical go up to the other shop so i went up to the other shop and lo and behold he was there and i said to him hey i know i blew a fuse in my car i know it's only going to cost me about five dollars because i've blown this fuse like three times and i'm not paying more than ten dollars <laughs> <laughs> because i didn't trust mechanics and yeah. so right. um so and then i said i need to sit in the car to see what you're doing because I don't want you to charge me for more. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't so, trust yeah, you. Yeah. They had a policy you're not supposed to let customers sit in a car, but his boss let me because it was just the window. Oh. And um, we got small talking. And the same friend, Megan, I told you about that taught me hurdles. I had a picture of her son on my dashboard, and he thought maybe that was my kid. And we got talking and stuff. And then he told me he sung with Vocal Point. And if you know Vocal Point, they're mm. a well-known a cappella group mm-hmm. at BYU. That's it, yeah. That's what and, I was um, so, I think I saw them in concert mm-hmm. at BYU. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did. And <laughs> so I had a family and we then brother that sang in Vocal Point. And I kept saying to him, I need to come see your show. And he would tell me the day of, the day after, the day before. So I never could go. And so we were talking and he goes, I sing in Vocal Point. I'm like, what? So I told him about the other guy that I knew and he knew him and Anyway, so I said, I would love to come see one of you guys' shows. You got to let me know when your show is. And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. And so that was the conversation. So I left, didn't think anything of it. So the next day I go back, not next day, like three days later, I go back. And he tells the story very differently, girls. And so I go back and my panel on my door was, he didn't put the screws in. And I, every time I opened the door, it would flap. And so I said, I'm going back to that shop and I don't want to see that guy because I don't want to tell him that he didn't put the screws back in. Uh, and so uh, I showed up and he's wearing a hat, a baseball cap. And I didn't know it was him at first. And when he looked up, ladies, the most beautiful blue eyes I had ever seen. <laughs> I, it was one of those. But it didn't last very long because I didn't think of him. I just was like, whoa, he, his eyes were really blue. Those eyes. And I didn't remember them even being blue three days before. So um, I sent him come out. You know, he came and he fixed it. And he goes, oh, by the way, I have a show this Friday. So this was like a Tuesday. I have a show this Friday and he ends with, do you want to be my date? And I didn't even think anything of it other than, Oh, you're so cheap that you want me to be your date. So you don't have to pay for me to go to the show. That was my first. Thought. Oh. <laughs> and oh, anyway, so funny. I went to the show and um, ended up hanging out with one of the guys, his wife, he was married. So his wife, I kind of sat with her cause I didn't know anybody. And then after the show, the boys always go out to have dinner after every show. And so me and the wife and I went out with the boys and we were inseparable ever since. 
So that's how we oh, met. That's awesome. And we still have the switch that's from really my cool. car that we tell our kids, this is how we met. That oh, that's so cute. He ended up having to change the entire switch, which still, which cost me like $150 later, but it was worth oh, $150, I guess. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that's a really cool story because it really story. is like if you hadn't had that window broke and if you hadn't gone to that mechanic, like who knows if your paths would have ever crossed. Probably not. You know? Probably not. Yeah, that's cool. That's crazy. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That is crazy. How much longer was he in Vocal Point after you met him? Oh, oh goodness. Vocal Point is like so a what, blur. Yeah. I don't Maybe a year or two. I don't even remember. Mm. Okay, I just see maybe if I saw him or not, but that was he was in for me. points. I want to say he was there maybe like ninety, either ninety nine through two thousand one. Yeah, I mean, I was at BYU in ninety at nine in ninety nine. Oh, so. Ooh, wow. nice. <laughs> That's really fun. So, and he was. Did he go with you to the second Olympics? He did not. Well? He did oh not. darn it. It was Gosh, his first yeah. year. He started working for BYU, and he had just gotten his job like a few weeks earlier, and didn't feel like he oh, could okay. ask yeah. for vacation. No. Right. Okay. Right. And what? Sorry. What department did you so say he, he was works in? Works in um, in independent study. Oh, independent study. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. And then how you had your kids a few years later? Oh, like, many years well, later. Your, your boys are. Yeah, your boys are teenagers. Yeah, so and your I boys realized are from my bio, yeah. actually, my they're now 16. I probably should update that, huh? 16, 15, mm. and 12. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All boys. Cute. And I saw, yeah, they're cute. I The picture that you sent, they're super Three cute boys. kids. Yeah, they love to hear yeah. that they're so cute. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> they Even are. when they awesome. were little. Okay, they handsome. Like, yes. Yeah. We're not cute. We're handsome. Yeah, it was handsome. so hilarious. Right. Yeah, yeah, boys don't like that. Yeah. So, do any of them like uh, track and field type track? They don't like or... track. Maybe my middle child, mm. but okay. they love football. My oh, oldest cool. played oh, on the yeah. state um, state team that won state this year um, for high school six A, and then oh, awesome. uh, my middle did um, football also. <laughs> And then my youngest did football also. So, yep. Yeah, I have a football player too, and it's his love. I mean, oh, yeah, he so does. He's, he's 15, yeah. He'll be in the fall, he'll be a sophomore, so he's so excited to hopefully yeah. Yeah. play a few that's varsity awesome. games. That's his goal, yeah. It's <laughs> cool. Well, that's really fun. And then, yeah, you said you just stayed in, in Provo after you met your husband. Is that why? Because he got a well, job at BYU? I, I mean, I and also then... worked for Provo School District. So, you know, I had a master's degree and he didn't have a degree yet. I'm like, dude, you got to go back to college. You got to get that degree. <laughs> so, you know, then he got his degree at UVU and now oh, awesome. he works at BYU. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Awesome. So that works well. He's there and you're in Provo School District. Yeah. So that's really good. Yeah. You can tell us about, yeah, what, what, because you're still competing, you're still doing athletic, you know, competition. So you've always yes, just kind of kept yeah. it in your life. Is that, um, or yeah. 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 I've kept it in still. and out. Like, I, so after the Olympics, you know, I had my kids about two years after the Olympics and then I had them all quickly. So I had three kids in four years. Um, mm. and then I retired again. Mm. So I retired after the Olympics, had my kids, retired again, came back somewhere in between one or two of my kids for a year, retired again, 
um, <laughs> came back when I was 40 and did that for two years, then retired again because my kids were too little and then came back this la this year. And I hope, hopefully I won't retire again. I think I'm going to stick with it. Keep but it's it really up. been so hard. hard. Like, oh, some days after work, I go to practice and then I get home late. And But it's hard. It's hard. But my boys, luckily, they're all yeah, so busy. Yeah, it's a lot of busy. That helps. Yeah. That's so cool. I think it's really neat to show your kids that you can still keep up on, like, the things that you love as an adult. You know, and even you're balancing a lot because you're working and you have three kids, but you're still making time for that, for yourself. So... I think that's really, I mean, cool for yourself, but also a good example. Kicks my butt yeah, though, because I go to the gym at 4 a.m. Oh, I you get go that early. part in. Oh, wow. And then it's a long day. Yeah, yeah, that would be rough. Yeah. But it, yeah. it works out. That's cool. And then how often, yeah, how often do you do your coaching? So we used to coach everyday thing, um, three days like a, a week, seasonal thing? Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. So. Okay. Nice. How many people, like in what age group is this or how many people are in this? Six. Oh, well, more like seven, because they have to be turning eight to about 14. And yeah, yeah, about oh, so kids, I don't know, like... oh, 80 yeah. to 100 kids. It's a lot. Oh. We have different oh, coaches. We have the throw coach, cool, the sprint coach, the distance coach, the jumps coach. So. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. You're probably like so good at it because you're, you're already working with kids. So it probably comes natural. To yeah. But you know what? It's well. way harder to coach little kids than it is to coach older kids. Because it's hard to teach little kids technique because you want them to just have fun oh. and not be frustrated. Yeah. And not to like yeah. burn out. Yeah. yeah. That would be hard. Yeah. 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 You kind of have to instill the love when they're little and not get yeah. too bogged down with any. I mean, with my kids with soccer or baseball or whatever sport they're playing, got to get them, mm -hmm. find out if they you want them first. You want them to enjoy and it. You, know, you don't it. want a kid to think, I don't want to go to yeah, practice. It's going to be too hard, you know? Not at that age. They should be having fun. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Um, I wonder, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what you do in your job. I'm just interested in, you're, so you're a social worker in a school. Mm -hmm. And before that, you were for the okay so, yeah, yeah with the I'm, district, so i'm so still with the district i'm okay. considered that all our so in purpose school district we have a, a social worker now in each school and oh, we cool. are employed by the district even if we're in the school so before i did gang preventions in let's see our three high schools two middle schools three elementary schools so i would school hop every day i'd go to different schools and now i'm just oh. in an elementary school so a couple things that i do as a social worker so i run the hope squad i have an intern that helps me oh yeah, yeah. my son was yeah, part of that so i think it's such a cool program yeah maybe so tell hope us what squad that is suicide prevention and we have that all the way down to the elementary schools um you know mm. just with on the elementary level we try to we don't talk about suicide as much but we talk about depression stress anxiety things like that when you're having a bad day tell someone get help make sure you have a friend that you can talk to um, you know, we don't keep secrets, especially ones that could hurt someone. Um, you know, so we, we just teach them the basics of mental health at their level. Mm. Um, and we have Hope Squad members that, you know, help us keep an eye out and ears open. Um, I also, I'm in charge of kindness club. And so this week we had our kindness week here at school. Um, it was very busy. So I'm, 
exhausted and I tell my staff I'm still tired at the end of time this week because I'm so tired yeah so it was cold so we had to do some of our activities inside um but we did a lot of fun things and I have a lot of kids that were so willing to help it was amazing um I'm currently doing like a girls empowerment group for fifth graders uh next month I'll start the one for sixth graders and again just empowering students um helping girls with their self-esteem and help them to be motivated to basically love themselves, love their bodies, love who they are, become who they want to be, accepting who they are, because there's some things we just can't change about ourselves. Um, and so that's probably one of my highlights of the year is running those groups with the girls. Um, I do yeah. a lot of counseling, you know, with depression and um, anxiety and stress and drama, whether it's, you know, just like she's not talking to me or they're saying things about me. We do a lot of um, what we call restored justice uh, conferences here at my school. Well, I help with that. You know, if kids have issues with each other and one feel or there's injustice done to one, we try to restore that relationship or at least restore the justice part. They don't have to be friends, but whoever broke that, um, not trust, but violated um yeah, like the, the, well, yeah, kind of trust with the relationship. Yeah, but it's, it's or... more like, let's say, you know, someone broke someone's stuff intentionally, right? And this was something really meaningful to that person. How do you restore that with a fourth grader or a fifth grader, right? You know, to help the other person understand that this was important to this person and you need to restore and mend, make it right for this person because what you did really hurt them, you know? Um, you took away that autonomy from them. And so how do you restore that kind of thing? So um, what else do I do? My heck, I do so much. So today we had, um, that's a lot yeah, that of food bank come. Um, so we have the food bank that comes to our school once a month and they bring us food and we have a chain of, I had 15 ladies. I have moms come and volunteer and they help me pack the bags of food and we distribute those through the school. We also have a food pantry at my school where I put it out on social media. Please come get food from us. We have, you know, if you need anything at home, I help kids with coats and shoes and boots. And I have parents with housing and jobs. And <laughs> I, I, I do a lot at my mm. school. Um, anything to do with mental health, I help with. Anything to do with basic needs, I help with. Um... Yeah, that's kind of a brief. That's, that's really so cool. cool. Yeah, we were just talking with someone that we interviewed about how cool it is that mental health is such a big part of elementary school now. Because I feel like me, like growing up, I just don't remember being healthy. Yes, like PE, like men, mm -hmm. like physical health. You talked about a lot more, and now we were saying how mental health mm -hmm. and physical health go hand mm -hmm. in hand, and if one is lacking the other one lacks and you, you need both and I just love some of the stuff that my kids come home with school with I mean like yeah when the hope squad or kindness club or crew or whatever and then the different kind of I don't even know what they call them but at the elementary school that Lindsay and I kids go to I feel like they always have some theme or something and it's about being confident in yourself and liking who you are like you were saying or making sure you're reaching out to somebody that maybe looks lonely so it's like reaching mm -hmm. out to others but also taking care of yourself 
Yeah, we talk. Yeah, we talk a lot about self care, and I have a pillow in my room that I share with my students. You may have heard this quote: "It's okay not to be okay." Oh. But I tell them, yes, it's okay not to be okay. But yeah. when you're not okay for a, a longer than you should be, that's when it's not okay. And so we talk mm. about that too. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, there's actually um, an Imagine Dragon song. Oh. That's that is the song. It's okay not to be okay, and I think it's such a great song. And then I noticed that it was kind oh, of like a yeah. quote that would that was going mm. around, and I'm like, oh, that's such a good because I think mm-hmm. sometimes they, that kids hide it because they think it's not okay. And I think that's a good to, thing to say. It's okay yeah. not to be, but if it's for too long, then you might need some yeah. help. Yeah. And the one thing I, I've learned over the twenty some years I've done my social work job is one, I can't fix anybody. Um, two, I can't take away your pain. I'm here to support you and help you through it. But one thing I never tell kids is it's going to be okay. Like, don't worry about those bullies. Mm. Don't worry about this. It's going to be okay. You don't need to cry about that. Never will I tell kids that because it. I tell them mm. it's okay to cry. It's okay to hurt. That's feelings that we all experience. We all experience emotions of some kind. Kids that are angry, be angry. You have the right to be angry. But we have to be angry in a healthy way. We can't throw things across the room. We can't hit people when we're angry. But we all get angry. And the healthy part of how we deal with our anger is what I try to teach. And not just anger, right? But sadness and and everything else. Grief. Things that you can't take away from anyone. And so I'm really real with the kids. Like, you know, because you don't want to just be like, oh, you know, whether it's 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 a grief, or, you know, whether they've had a loss in their family, you don't just say it, it gets better. They don't want to hear that. You know, it doesn't get better for yeah. you in the moment. So why would you tell someone else that? Right. It's hard in the moment. And that this is really hard. Kids deal with a lot of hard stuff. That's that's one thing that I mean, adults yeah. do, too. But I think kids, when they feel safe to express themselves, it's amazing, like, the things that I learn about the kids and what they tell me. But um, I feel like a lot of kids, they don't have that permission sometimes to express themselves. For sure. Yeah. A lot of family, you know, like don't, don't cry, like hide your emotions or even the parents or act out in a way that's not healthy being too angry instead of, you know, I think my, my husband always tell my kids like you can't, you know, help the way you feel, but you can help the way you react to those feelings. Mm. So let's talk about like, when you are sad, how are we going to handle it? And then when you are mad or upset, like what's a correct way, you know, like a healthy way or a way that's, I don't know, cause you can't control other people and what they do to you or what happens in your life, but just how you can kind of react to yeah. those emotions and how to handle those. So yeah, that's yes, it is. a learning process for all of Adults us. Adults are still <laughs> learning it. So I tell them I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't expect you to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right. the cool thing about like what you're doing and having a role like that in a school is sometimes I feel like I tell my kids these things, but I always am so grateful for their teachers and outside people that can teach them because it's just a little different. Like, I mean, they hear me get on them about everything at home. Mm-hmm. So if I tell them, you know, I, I don't know, I just feel like having an outside person that they, that they feel safe with and that they trust. And like, I don't know, I think it's amazing that like our schools offer like a social worker like you. And I'm so grateful for that, you know, and I do feel like it seems to be more prevalent Mm -hmm. these days. And so it's just so cool that our society is 
is kind of evolving to, to yes. see the value in that. I think it will really help, you know, the, the children and, and just, and then obviously the future, cause these kids are going to be adults and we yep, all, you right. know, we're <laughs> so the healthier mindsets and things that they can learn and healthy anger and how to cope and stuff. So yeah. anyway, that's awesome. We probably should be wrapping yeah, up. Yeah. This is here. so fun to talk to you. So I yeah, love chatting been, with you. I know it's yeah, been really, really cool. And, and I'm grateful you made the time for us. Cause I know you've had a crazy week with your kindness week and everything going on. So you're really nice yeah. to. Oh, food it's the story yeah, of my life. Nice. Just you know, I I, I do it all. <laughs> I, I try try to do. I shouldn't say I do it all. I try to do it all, but I I do have limitations. Like you I do. limit myself, and I said, okay, I'm not going to go practice this day because I really need a break. Also, I'm going to run myself down, you know. Um, but but life yeah. is good. Life is busy, but it's a good busy. I'm doing things that I love, and that's that's what's nice. Yeah. Yeah, which is important. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we always ask at the end of our episode um, how you find beauty in life after going through. We've talked about many tr- transitions today, but after going through things in your life, whether hard or different, and the different ones we've talked about. I think I find beauty in life because I love people. And I also, I think COVID has helped me find more beauty in life because it has slowed me down to reflect on who I want to be. Am I being the person I want to be? And I think for me, reevaluating myself and maybe like, am I being my best self every day? I think that helps me find beauty because sometimes I'm like, okay, that was a good week. That was a good day. Even though I was so busy this week, like I said, you know, I said, I'm still happy during kindness week. I'm still kind. I'm not. When you get so busy sometimes and you're just like (laughs) irritated, I get irritated. I get flustered. I get like, oh, too much, too much. But this week I was just like, take it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, um, and and just embrace life. Because life is hard. Life is hard. Um, But at the same time, there's a lot to be grateful for. So I think the gratitude in life, despite all the challenges, despite all the different transitions, whether hard or easy, I think gratitude for just just life and, and people and friendships um, has have me grounded, have me um, just satisfied with just being me and given more of me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I perfect. Love, that. love it. Well, enjoy the warm weather, ladies. I'm kind of jealous that you're both down <laughs> south enjoying the sunshine. Yeah. It's a little oh. warmer down here, but yeah. yeah. It's, you know. I'd still rather be in the Caribbean. I know. That's exactly think. what I was just thinking. I'm like, <laughs> warm, but I just had this vision of the ocean and fruit, and yes. we got to get there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just want to eat a mango yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> that was awesome. I love hearing about that. That was really fun. Well, thanks, Marcia. Awesome. This is such a good conversation. Yeah. And again, we're just grateful you took the time and what a unique life you've lived. Like really, it's been yeah. Really Everybody's cool. got a great story. So, Everybody's yeah. got a great story. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's so true. To listen to them. Yep. And share yeah. them. So. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast. 
where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life is my own I'll start again, my mind is free now I can feel I'll take a chance, I won't be wrong Here's Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey